good to be back. It's good to be back with family. I missed you guys. I know you all missed me. Um, no, not so much. Okay, well, that's fine. We like to take, at the end of the summer, uh, we like to take just a couple of weeks to talk about spiritual disciplines. Spiritual disciplines are those uh, areas of our life that we, uh, little by little, over the course of our journey with God, learn to cultivate a habit that honors Jesus and that draws us closer to him. And so uh, things like reading the scripture, things like prayer, these would all be considered spiritual disciplines. In the past, we've done uh, a teaching series called Growing Down, where we've looked at all these different aspects of, of spiritual life and how to create that discipline. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about the spiritual discipline of fasting. And I want to look at a passage in the book of Acts, chapter 13. Now, if you're new to the Bible, uh, the book of Acts was written by Luke, one of the followers of the Apostle Paul, and it was written to Christ kind of chronicle what happened after Jesus rose from the dead and ascended into heaven. So Christians believe that Jesus rose from the dead, that he ascended into heaven, and then the church began. And the church was the followers of Jesus that, uh, that gave their lives, trusted in him and in his grace. And so the, the book of Acts really is a story of what's happened uh, since then after Jesus rose from the dead. And so we're going to kind of pick it up right in the middle of that book, Acts chapter 13. I'm just going to read three verses today. Are you ready? You guys got to get a little crazy with me this morning. You ready? All right, good, 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 good. Acts chapter 13, verse 1. Now, there were in the church of Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, a member of the court of Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Title of today's sermon, if you'd like to take notes, I encourage you to, A Growing Appetite. That's the title of today's sermon, A Growing Appetite. Would you pray with me and ask God to speak to each of us today? God, we honor you today, and at the reading of your scripture, we believe that every single word is inspired. God, we believe that you're here right now, and that you desire to speak to your people in a unique way. Jesus, I know there's many different people. Some people in uh, the room are, feel a thousand miles away from you, feel like you're a distant idea. Some people in the room are just so thriving and in love with you. Some of us are tired, some of us are weak, some of us are encouraged, and some of us are strong. I pray no matter where we're at today that this word would speak specifically to us in a profound way and that we would never be the same in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen. I consider myself uh, not a professional foodie, but uh, just a, a, an amateur. I do enjoy food. Does anybody else enjoy food in the house? You enjoy food a little bit? It's good to enjoy food. God gave us food. It's a, it's a wonderful gift. And uh, we live in an incredible age where food is so accessible and so diverse. When we were in Portland, we asked some of our friends there, you know, what is a great Portlandian restaurant to go to and kind of get a vibe for Portland, and so they gave us a few recommendations, but one of the ones that, uh, that they said was really great was, a, was a, a restaurant called Tasty and Sons. Tasty and Sons. You can jot that down. That's part of the sermon, Tasty and Sons. If you ever find yourself in Portland, Oregon, go to Tasty and Sons in Jesus' name, all right? Uh, it's an awesome experience, and so we go there, and it's kind of served family style. You know, you have all these different things, and so legitimately, we decided, well, why don't we just order? We had a 10 or 11 of us. Why don't we just order, like, almost everything on the menu, and so we just went through and ordered all kinds of stuff. We got, uh, I wrote the names down because they were so delicious, so you can imagine them in your mind if you're hungry right now. We got low country hush puppies. They were like soft and, you know, they were really good. We got Cajun mac and cheese, like this super uh, creamy mac and cheese. Spicy barbecue pork ribs. Those pork ribs were like falling off of the bone, like delicious. Alabama, 
Alabama barbecue chicken. I don't know what's different about the Alabama chicken, but it was really, really, really good. Fried chicken, shrimp and grits. We had some shrimp and grits. Come on, amen. We had some, uh, we had some squid. It was my first time, I think, ever having squid, and it was delicious. I mean, I don't even you know, know if I really legitimately like squid, but all the different things that they had on the squid just made it so, so good. And we ate, and we ate, and we ate literally until like you couldn't move. Have you ever eaten that much? Think like last Thanksgiving, you know what I'm saying? Like, oh, like I'm so stuffed. Yes, no? A couple of us have, yeah. You know, uh, the doctors tell us that the stomach is about the size of your fist. Go ahead and make a fist. About the size of your fist. So it is incredible to me, if that is true, how much I can fit in my fist. Because, because I mean, I can definitely eat a whole lot more than a fist size. I, uh, I love Chipotle. Does anybody like Chipotle? Chipotle? You know, the, the resurrection of, uh, of casual fast food is beautiful. You know, all this fast food is like, no, I don't do McDonald's. I don't do Burger King. But Chipotle's fast-ish, but kind of has the, you know, and so I, that's kind of where I navigate to if I have to get like a Panera or a Chipotle something for quick for lunch. But Chipotle's delicious, and I love just loading up one of those burritos. But I'm always shocked when they hand me the burrito because it's like, Oh my gosh, this thing weighs like, and so, you know, I did some research. A burrito at Chipotle can weigh up to a pound and a half, a pound and a half. I mean, just to give you perspective, my wife was born premature at like two pounds. So she's like a burrito and chips when she was born. I mean, legitimate, that's the size of one of these burritos. And somehow I can fit the entire burrito, not at one time, but through multiple bites in my mouth and fit it into my fist. And apparently my fist has the capacity in my stomach size to expand, right? Because I can fit that whole burrito and a little while later I, uh, I can fit some more. It's incredible, but we can fit inside our stomach. Since 1977, scientists have been tracking the food portion size in the United States, and it probably doesn't surprise you to find out that food portions have been growing, right, with our waistlines. Can somebody say amen? So the hamburger is 23% larger than it was in 1977. The average hamburger in the United States, 23% larger than it was in 1977. If you get a plate of Mexican food at a restaurant, it's going to be about 27% bigger than it was in 1977. If you get a soft drink, like a soda at a restaurant or at a fast food place, a soft drink is 52% larger than 1977. I mean, you go and you get not like a cup like this at a Wendy's or something. You get like a two-liter bottle with a top and a straw. You know what I'm saying? Like these massive soft drinks is what's the norm. You know, uh, the average snack like chips or pretzels has grown by 60% since 1977. Now, I like to go to the movies, and when I go to the movies, I do like to get a little popcorn. I like to get a little butter on it. And you know the popcorn is like $560 at the movies, but, but you have to do it, and it's always gigantic. You know what I mean? But I don't know about you. I'm just going to make a confession today. And if you have not done this, God bless you, but maybe you have, you get to the movies, you get a huge popcorn, you sit down, you're watching the previews, and you discover that before the movie has begun, you have already finished the gigantic has anybody ever done that before? I have. I mean, it's like, oh my goodness, where did I fit all that popcorn? It's incredible what we can do. Now, many of us, uh, you know, pride ourselves on the fact that we eat organic or we eat healthy, and that's good. You know, maybe you're a kale person. God bless you. That's awesome. Uh, you know, that's good for you. But even if you pride yourself on the fact that you only eat organic milk or only drink organic milk and only do, you know, organic food, and, and that's wonderful, still, I would suggest to you today that if you're living in the American culture, you have a mild to severe obsession with food. You think about it more than the average, you know, human being in other parts of the world. You have more access to more tastes and more flavors for the human palate than any generation has ever had in the history of the human race. 
Right now, there are 341 cooking shows on TV. How many of us like to watch cooking shows? Come on, let me see your hand if you watch a little cooking show. Yeah, they call it gastroporn. I'm serious, that's like an actual name. It means that you're sitting in front of the television and you are lusting over what they're creating on the grill. You're looking at it and you're salivating and you're experiencing the flavors of those things vicariously through the TV. I think we may have an issue. In a generation that loves food, that loves options, that loves taste, that loves flavors, it seems to me that the spiritual discipline of fasting has gotten pushed further and further and further off our radar. And so, you know, for some of us, this idea of fasting is a completely foreign reality. Like, fasting is nothing we've ever considered. And so, sure, we've heard about reading the Bible, and, and we like to read the Bible potentially, or sure, we like to pray, or we come to church, and we like to sing songs, or hear a sermon. But the idea of fasting is like this far distant, like, what? People do that? Like, don't eat food? for an extended amount of time, and I would suggest that there are many of us in the room that have probably never missed a meal, and there's many more of us that have never missed a day of food, and some more of us that have never missed two days of eating food. It seems crazy, preposterous, almost offensive to think that we would go an extended amount of time with not eating. I mean, there's something so attached to food in our culture that the idea of abstaining from food for any particular length of time seems not only crazy, but totally unreasonable and not something that's going to benefit us in any way. I want to kind of give away the sermon before, uh, before the end. Before I finish this morning, I'm going to be encouraging and challenging every single one of us to join City Church in a fast starting tomorrow morning and ending Wednesday evening, okay? And so we're going to start our leadership team, our elder team, all the leaders of the church are going to be fasting starting Monday morning, tomorrow morning, right? And uh, I know that some of us right now in our mind are going, okay, let me think of a good reason why I can't do that. I, I got dinner with mom. I got that thing. I got to exercise. I got, we got all these different reasons why we would never, ever want to participate in something like that. But over the next, you know, five minutes to an hour, I'm going to take some time to try to convince you why student, why uh, person that's uh, in between jobs, why family uh, of four, why mom or dad, why it's important for you to seriously consider joining us in a fast starting Monday morning to Wednesday night. I was hoping for cheering or clapping or something exciting in that moment. Nobody says anything like dumbfounded, like you just kicked my dog. Now, I know that there are legitimate reasons not to fast, okay? Legitimate reasons, like, you know, if you're pregnant, probably not a good idea to fast. If you've got diabetes, other health issues, there are legitimate reasons not to fast. But it seems to me, in Christian circles, first of all, this is probably the first message you've ever heard on fasting. And second of all, when fasting is mentioned, very often the first thing we do is come up with a reason why we shouldn't fast food, right? And so it's like, hey, you should fast because it's a spiritual discipline. I'll explain exactly what that means in a moment. Why don't you consider fasting? And immediately we go, oh, oh, but you could just fast uh, playing golf if you want, you know, rather than food. And everybody's like, oh, perfect, because I don't play golf. That's awesome. I'll fast playing golf. Like, I volunteer for that one, right? Or you can fast watching TV. It's like, okay, I can deal with that for a couple days. Fair enough. But many of us are quickly looking for something else to fast, right? And 
and immediately listing a number of things why fasting is going to be inconvenient. So listen, I've got a big dinner coming up, or I have a breakfast appointment, or you don't understand, I've got to exercise 300 days out of the year, or no, I, I, uh, you know, I'm on this thing or that thing, or I've got a big interview for a job, and I don't want to be you know, hungry during that. Or There's a thousand different reasons we immediately come up with for why we shouldn't fast. But the model of Scripture, again and again, from the very beginning to the end of the book, is we see people for particular seasons of life abstaining from food for spiritual purposes. Okay? Abstaining from food for spiritual purposes. I want to talk with you just a little bit about appetite because appetite's a big issue in the Bible. If you know the stories of Scripture, you know the very first story is about appetite, right? You've got a man and a woman in a garden, and they are tempted by a serpent, and they are tempted to eat something that God instructed them not to eat. And it was the appetite of the individuals in that garden that led them to rebel against God and seek something that could never satisfy the way God does and replace God with a new idol of satisfaction physically. And it was that food that they ate in the garden that separated and severed us originally from our creator. The stories go on in the scripture. It doesn't take long before appetite becomes a big deal again. A big deal again. We see it in the story of Jacob and Esau, where Esau, if you know the story, if you don't, that's okay. But Esau comes out of the woods. He's the firstborn of Isaac. It's his uh, great privilege to receive from God all the blessings that were passed down from Abraham to Isaac and then to Esau. Esau, being the firstborn, was to receive that blessing. And yet he comes out of the woods one day, very, very hungry, and his brother Jacob is making some stew. And Esau comes out and says, Hey, can I have a bowl of stew? And Jacob's very cunning, and he says, I'll give you the stew if you give me your birthright, your privileges and your rights as the firstborn. This is a huge thing. I mean, he is getting completely ripped off. It's like the birthright of the, chrono, uh, the chronological you know, uh, lineage of, of eventually the Messiah or a bowl of lentil stew. And he trades it because his appetite's out of control. He says, what do I care about a birthright? I'm going to die. I'm so hungry. He eats the stew, the stew and forfeits his position in God's family. Wow, appetite can get you in some big, big trouble. Now, in Acts chapter 13, what we see is the leaders of this church in Antioch are taking some time to fast, right? And it's interesting to me, let's take a look at verse 2 again, how they mention fasting in this passage of Scripture. Look at it with me. First in verse 1, he outlines all these superstar guys, right? He says it's like, there's this guy Niger, there's this guy Barnabas, there's this guy Saul, who's later called Paul. All these great leaders in the church are mentioned in verse 1. And then it says this in verse 2, it says, while they were worshiping, somebody say while. Come on, you do it louder than that. Somebody say while. There you go. Oh, so much better. While they were worshiping the, with the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I've called them. You notice that little verse, that little word, while, right? As I was meditating and thinking about this, it stuck out to me that the writer of the book of Acts felt no obligation to explain the fast. Did you notice that? He doesn't say, well, they fasted for these six reasons, and they fasted this long, and then they sang these worship songs, and then they did this. He just blows right past it as if it was something that you and I as Christians should already understand. Have you ever been around someone that interacts in a subculture that's different from yours, and they have a language that you don't even understand, but they expect you to understand? Has that ever happened to you before? The best example I could think of to illustrate this is my wonderful wife and her love for CrossFit. we have any CrossFit people in the room? 
CrossFit, a couple of people. God bless you. I am not a cross. I'm a Justin Fit. I don't. I don't do CrossFit. But uh, but you know, uh, my wife comes home from CrossFit, and, and we have a lot of CrossFit people in my family. My brother-in-law owns a CrossFit gym. My father-in-law does CrossFit. All these people do CrossFit, and it's a great exercise program. God bless the CrossFit people. But they come back and they talk to you about their exercise, and it makes no sense to the average human. Did you ever figure that out? Like, what'd you do today? What'd you exercise? Well, we did a wad. A what? A wad, and we did some double unders. It's like, is that a big pair of underpants? Like a double, double under? And then we did some burpees. So wait, you were burping with underpants? What happened? And then we did some wall balls. So there were, well, I don't even want to know what that means. And then we did a clean and jerk. So there was, there was a clean jerk. Like what is going? And and as the language goes on, it's like I quickly get lost. You're kipping. You're jerking. You're, you're what are you doing? Like it sounds crazy. It's a completely different language, right? And as the guys in CrossFit talk about it, if you ever get four or five CrossFit people together, it's like, oh dude, what was the wad today? Oh, let's do this burpees with jerks and cleans and everything else. It's like, you have no idea what they're saying. It's like, push-ups? Wait, I don't, what, what does that mean? Right? Because they've developed a culture with a language. In the same way, we see that these early church followers had a culture with a language, and to talk about fasting didn't need a long explanation because it's mentioned in Acts 9, Acts 10, Acts 13, Acts 14. Moses fasted, David fasted, Elijah fasted, Ezra fasted, Esther fasted, Daniel fasted. The early church, according to uh, ancient documents, teaches us that they fasted on Wednesdays and Fridays very frequently, so two days a week they were abstaining from food. And so it was commonly un understood that there is a spiritual benefit to abstaining from food for an extended period of time. And we see throughout Scripture that there are many benefits mentioned to this process of fasting, okay? One was Christians understood that fasting established in their heart the priority of God. In other words, when they abstained from food, their stomachs would growl, but they would say inwardly, God, I am deciding that my appetites naturally long for satisfaction physically, but I am going to redirect those appetites to the discipline of fasting. In other words, there is a power in not eating that enables me in the spirit to turn my appetites towards my creator rather than towards his creation. Okay, And so there was a natural uh, understanding in the church that I can redirect my appetites through this discipline of fasting. Some of the passages in Scripture that stick out to me, Psalm 41, it says this, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. In other words, God, my hunger for you supersedes all other natural hungers. In Psalm 73, the psalmist says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And I desire you more than anything on earth. In other words, fasting is a physical way to decree, God, I want you this much. See, your natural appetites are always growing, right? You have a natural appetite for food, a natural appetite for intimacy, a natural appetite for relationships. These things are good and given to us by God. But because you and I have got sin that we're battling with, those natural appetites get distorted and become idols that we end up worshiping. So the only way or one of the ways that God has enabled us to redirect those appetites is through the spiritual discipline of fasting by which we decree, God, I'm not living by bread alone. I want you more than the very substance that sustains my physical frame. You tracking with this so far? Turn person next to you tell them it's going to get better. 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 John Piper, one a great preacher, said this about fasting. He said, the great adversary of love to God is not his enemies but his gifts. And the most deadly appetites are not for the poison of evil but for the simple pleasures of the earth. For when these replace the appetite for God himself, the idolatry is scarcely recognizable and almost incurable. So one thing that fasting does for us is it redirects our appetites and it decrees our priority is God. 
It decrees our priority is God. Another thing that we see in Scripture is that it was a way to humble ourselves. We know in the Bible that Scripture teaches that Jesus exalts the humble, but he humbles those that are proud, right? And so there's this natural grace from God that comes upon you when you humble yourself. God uh, draws near. The Scripture teaches that as you draw near to him in humility, he draws near to you. Jesus started the Sermon on the Mount by saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, those that humble themselves. We did a whole series on that in the wintertime. But blessed are the poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom. So God draws near to the humble. In Psalm 35, David says, I humbled myself through, anybody want to guess? This is a sermon on fasting. Through fasting. I humbled myself through fasting. So fasting was a physical way to bring ourselves low and to decree that we need God more than food. It was also a way to crush the idol of food in my heart. My inclination to be attached so deeply to food, I crush that idol and say, God, though it's a gift from you, I don't want to worship the food or be so attached to this desire for pleasure in my flesh that I don't have a superior desire for you. So we see that Paul in the scripture fasted. Peter fasted in the Old Testament. Daniel fasted. Esther fasted. Jesus fasted. The church of Antioch fasted. I want to make a few observations about this text. And the first observation I want to make, I'll make three today. You can jot them down if you like, is that fasting must become familiar to me. To me. If you want to follow Jesus, part of following Jesus is cultivating spiritual disciplines. And part of spiritual disciplines is understanding that fasting is a part of my journey in pursuing God. And so it can't be this distant idea that I read a book about or heard a sermon about one time. It must be something I actually participate in if I want to know Jesus to the fullest extent that he can be known. In other words, you can't say, I'm all in to follow Christ and I never ever fast. Those are not congruent uh, things to say because what we're saying in fasting is it's one of the spiritual disciplines that draws us closer and decrees that our priority is God. So it's time to get familiar with this idea of fasting. And you don't have to answer this out loud, but are you? Are you? If you look at yourself personally, have you ever abstained from food for any length of time for spiritual purposes to redirect your priorities and to decree that God is central in your life? Because if you haven't, we got this fast coming up. I'd encourage you to participate. I'd encourage you to participate. Verse 2, take a look at verse 2 again. It says, while they were worshiping, we looked at while, right? That they were doing it as part of the culture of the early church. While they were worshiping and fasting, the Holy Spirit said. Somebody say said. The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. And look, this is getting exciting. Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Now, the Holy Spirit said, I want to talk for a minute about the relationship. This is so important. Listen to me today, church. I want to talk to you about the relationship between fasting and hearing the voice of God. How many of us want to hear the voice of God in our lives? Of course we do, right? You wouldn't be here at church unless you're, like, trying to find, a, you know, a guy or a girl. But, uh, you know, and that's not a bad thing. God bless you, but your priority should be hearing the voice of God, right? Hearing the voice of God is the primary reason that we come here to gather, to worship, to honor Jesus, and to hear his voice. And so hearing the voice of God should be a priority in all of our lives, that we want to hear God's voice. Now, there's a relationship in Scripture between fasting and hearing the voice of God. Example, Moses did a 40-day fast, 40 days with no food. And it was during that time that God revealed to him the Ten Commandments and the law. What a download, right? I mean, incredible. Jesus fasts for 40 days before he begins his earthly ministry, right? And so it was that season of listening and preparation that launched him into his calling. Now, in Acts 13, they're praying and they're fasting. And interestingly enough, God gives them specifics. Look right there. We first find out what 
God wants them to do next. Through this time of praying and fasting, God then tells them what to do next. He says, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul, right? He tells them specifically what to do. And he also tells them when to do it. It's a now statement. You're supposed to do this now. So through the process of fasting, what to do becomes clear, when to do it becomes clear, and then who to lead out into their calling becomes clear. Barnabas and Saul. Now there was Niger, there was all these other guys. There was Manian, there was Lucius, there were all these other guys. But they say, but God speaks Barnabas and Saul are the two I want you to send out. So we find that through this fast, God clarifies what? He clarifies when, and he clarifies who. I wonder in your life if you have any what questions for God. You got any what questions for God? You got any who questions for God? You got any when questions for God? Things that you're not certain about, things that you want to do his will, but you're just not sure what the answer is, what God would have you do? Let me try to explain it like this. 1928, very significant discovery in the medical field, right? We learned that penicillin had the power to break down bacteria in the human body, right? For generations, people had been dying of various bacterial infections. The bacteria would spread throughout the human body, often take lives, and we discovered that this incredible, you know, substance of penicillin could work as an antibiotic to kill the bacteria. And what penicillin does, and what all antibiotics really do fundamentally, is break down the cellular walls of the bacteria that's growing inside of the human body. And so there are these cells that are bacterial inside the body, and this penicillin breaks down those walls so that it no longer has the ability to spread in the human body. See, in the same way, fasting doesn't earn you points with God. Now he likes you more because you fasted. No, 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 that's not how it works. Instead, fasting becomes an antibiotic for the body. So you have, because you and I wrestle with sin, we have issues with pride and issues with fear and issues with lust and issues with worry and issues with anxiousness. And when we fast, we're humbling ourselves. We're decreeing that God is priority. And through that act, what happens is fasting serves as an antibiotic to the soul where it begins to break down the bacteria that's within us that hinders our ability to hear God's voice. Second observation I want you to see here is that there was a relationship between hearing God's voice and fasting. Fasting prepares the soul to hear God. You can jot that down if you'd like. Fasting prepares the soul to hear God. It prepares the soul to hear God. If you're here today and you're not sure what he's saying about this situation or about that situation, I would encourage you, join us in a fast starting this Monday to Wednesday night. Join us in a fast together as a spiritual discipline and ask God for clarity on those issues that you've been wondering about. Because God brings clarity, and one of the great ways to hear him is to break down the walls of distraction and distortion by fasting. You tracking so far? Turn to the person next to you and say, we should fast. Come on, tell them we should fast. We should fast. Kipping ain't easy, you know what I'm saying? You got to learn the language. Fasting prepares the soul to hear God. Verse 3, verse 3, is going to get better? Is it going to get better? So we talked about why, we talked about said, the Holy Spirit spoke. Now it's obvious that through this scripture that the writer Luke is showing us the connection between them humbling themselves in prayer and fasting and God speaking clearly. There's a connection there. It's all through the scripture, prepares us to hear God's voice. Verse 3, then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. It's interesting that he says it again. After fasting and praying, as if we didn't know they were fasting because you just said it the verse earlier. After fasting and praying... He lays his hands on them, and he sent them. Somebody say sent. Sent. Yeah, he sent them. That was the worst so far, by the way. Somebody say sent. Yeah, good job. All right. Yeah, he sent them off, right? So he sent them off. Well, where'd they go? Well, according to Scripture, 
When Barnabas and Saul, who was later called Paul, left this church in Antioch, they began their long journey of planting churches. And so they began all over the Middle East and Europe spreading the good news of Jesus. And like no one ever before, that good news started to stick. You remember these last few weeks we were talking about the church of Thessalonica, right? The capital of Macedonia. That's one of the places that Paul and Barnabas went, or that Paul went, to share the gospel. And it stuck. The church grew rapidly. But that's not the only place they went. They went to Philippi. They went to Athens, they went to Corinth, they went to Ephesus. They began all over the Middle East and Europe sharing Jesus. And after this fast, they went out, preached the gospel, and God blessed what they did. In fact, to such a degree that 13 of the 29 New Testament books were written by the Apostle Paul as letters to the churches that he planted after he was sent out from Antioch on the fast. Okay, And so they started reaching first one continent, then two continents, then three continents with the gospel to the point where Christianity began to spread in such an explosive, unexpected way that by just 300 years after Jesus rose from the dead, it was decreed the national faith of the Roman Empire to the tune now where over two billion people decree that Jesus is their king and that Jesus is their savior. Something wild happened when Barnabas and Saul left Antioch after the fast. Here's what I'm trying to get at today. I want you to see this. One fast led to the humbling of a few hungry hearts for God. And then those humble people made God priority by humbling themselves through fasting, which led to the breaking down of the, of the garbage in their own heart that would make it difficult to hear God. And so they heard God's voice clearly. They obeyed his direction. They sent out two men, Paul and Barnabas. Those two men began planting dozens of churches, which led to 13 New Testament letters, which led to the changing of history. you got to get excited about fasting. See, we're going to step in in just a moment to a challenge for you and me to take three days, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, to do something maybe you've never done before or maybe never considered doing, is abstaining from food for the purpose of seeking God in prayer. Abstaining from food for that season. Now, again, if you've got physical situation where you can't do it, but don't let your physical situation be, I like Chipotle, all right? If you have a legitimate physical reason, I understand that. And there's not a, this isn't a, this isn't a, a thing that's an obligation. You don't have to do this. This is a thing that's an invitation. You get to do this if you want to seek God, if you want to make him priority, if you want to decree with your heart and with your body that he's first in your life and that you want him more than anything else. I want to invite you to fast with us as a church because in fasting, what you're doing is, yes, you're saying he's priority, and yes, you're becoming now familiar with the discipline. What you're also saying is, God, make your voice clear so I can hear you, and fasting will prepare you for that. But the last observation I want to make, which is explosive, and I want this thought to kind of germinate in your mind for a moment, is that one fast, according to the evidence we have in Acts chapter 13, one fast can forever change the course of world events. Think about that for a second. One fast. Do you believe that? One time of prayer and fasting. You have to see that this one fast led to a particular direction to lead a, to particular two men out of Antioch so that they could go plant churches and in planting those churches, spreading the gospel and in spreading those gospel, changing the course of history as we know it. It was one fast. You can trace it all back down to a few guys or a community of people on their face, abstaining from food, asking God to speak clearly. It's incredible. And you might say, well, Justin, that's just an anomaly. Really? Because all throughout scripture, what we find is that one fast changed the course of history. In the book of Esther, we see that Esther asks the people of God when they're on the verge of genocide, the Jewish people about to be eliminated 
and executed. Uh, Esther asks the people of God to fast for three days. It's a good number, by the way. Three days. Three days. Jesus rose from the dead after three days. Esther and the team there fasted for three days. City Church is going to fast for three days. For three days, Esther challenged all of Israel to fast, and they did. They fasted, and as they fasted, God moved the heart of the king and saved the people of Israel from genocide. Incredible power of God. One fast changing the course of history. In, in the Old Testament, Jehoshaphat, the king of Israel, is being attacked by numerous other kings, way too strong for him. And he asks Israel in a corporate fast, just like we're doing, would you fast for, uh, for uh, protection from the Lord? And God supernaturally protected the people of Israel and kept them safe. Jonah, in the Old Testament, again, comes to the people of Nineveh, a sinful pagan people, and he decrees to them that judgment is coming from God. And the king of Nineveh, Nineveh declares a fast, and he says, uh, city, let's fast, all of us together, and ask God for mercy. And God hears their fasting and their prayer, and he responds in giving them mercy, and the people of Nineveh are saved. It happened in history. In the 1700s, the king of England decreed a fast for the entire nation of England to, to pray that they wouldn't have to go to war with France, and the war was avoided supernaturally. In the middle of the Civil War, Abraham Lincoln asked America to fast and pray that the war would uh, abolish slavery for all time in the United States, and as they prayed and fasted, God heard their prayer, and eventually slavery was undone here in the United States. I'm telling you, fasting and prayer has power, has power. What if there's a what question or a when question or a who question in your life that if you would humble yourself and fast, God would clearly answer it and you'd never be the same? What if in these next three days as we pray and fast, God visited you with an angelic encounter or you heard his voice through a dream or you experienced his breakthrough power in your body or you were healed supernaturally? What if God moved powerfully through the response of a corporate fast? Come on, friends. Or we can just cling to Chipotle and our gastro porn and just love the things that we love. And listen, God's blessed us with wonderful food in this country. Thank God for it. But there are moments, there are times where we pull aside and we say, God, you're more important. I want you. I long for you. What if one fast could launch our church into the most fruitful season we've ever had in our lives? You know, I've been praying for this church. It's kind of my job. I, that's one of the things I do. Here's what I believe. I believe the next four to five months are going to be the most fruitful months of our church's history. I really believe that. I feel, like, I feel like we will see more of God's power, more of God's miracles, more of God's life in the next four to five months than we've ever seen. And listen, if you've been around for these almost four years now, you know we've seen quite a few crazy things happen by God's glory. But I believe that the next four months are going to be the most explosive. And God put an audacious prayer in my heart to pray during this fast. And I want you to Pray it with me. Consider joining me in this prayer. I'm going to be praying multiple times every day for a simple thing. God, would you lead a hundred people, a hundred people to faith in you in the next 10 weeks? God, in the next 10 weeks, through all of our church services and events as a church, would you lead a hundred people to place their faith in Jesus Christ and be transformed by his love? In the next 10 weeks, God, would you lead a hundred people to faith in you, Jesus? God, our friends at work, our friends at school, our family members that are far from you, God, now's the time for their eyes to be open, for their desire to turn towards heaven. And I'm going to humble myself in fasting and in prayer and ask you to do a miracle in their lives. Give them a desire that they've never had before so that they could turn to you and be saved and be saved. Would you join me in a three-day fast, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday? Would you join me in a three-day fast and pray that prayer to God? God, we pray for 100 people to come to faith in the next 10 weeks. 
God, we pray 100 people to come to faith. God, we also pray for clarity for when, for what, for who in my life personally. Lord, I ask you for that in the next three days, that you'd bring clarity. God, I pray for encounters with you. I pray that my priorities would become focused on Jesus above all else. I pray that you would see this as an act of humbling myself to decree that, Jesus, I can't live on bread alone, but on every word you speak to me. Fasting establishes priority. Fasting is a physical outworking of humility. Fasting brings clarity of God's will. Fasting opens the doors to supernatural moves of God's spirit. Now here's one thing I've learned about fasting. I have never found a convenient time to fast. I've fasted many, many times through my journey with Jesus. You know, doing three-day fasts, five-day fasts, 10-day fasts. A while back we did a 21-day fast. Seeking God and not eating food, you know. And I don't like it, by the way. I like food, amen? I don't enjoy not eating. But I see in Scripture again and again that it's a way to humble myself and to decree my need for God. I wonder if you'd join me. Now, I know right now in your mind you're thinking, Justin, this is really not convenient. You don't understand. My parents are in town. i got to eat with them. and blah, blah, blah. All these different reasons. Or I'm just starting school. Or, you know, listen, if you're a student, I don't think there's a better way to start the year than a three-day fast. I really don't. I really don't. If you're in business, maybe you work for yourself, your, your own business, this is a great time to humble yourself and ask God for direction. Maybe you're struggling in your marriage or in your relationship with your kids. This is a great time to humble yourself and ask God to speak to you and bring breakthrough with your family. Maybe you're battling an illness or battling some other great challenge financially. This is a great time to cry out to God and say, God, I just humble myself. I need you. You're my only source. You're my only life. God, I come to you humbly. At every location at City Church on Wednesday, we're going to be having dinners. We have an office in Westville. 6 p.m., we're going to be having a big dinner. Break this fast together. There's also a group meeting for our mid-state location in Wallingford. It's going to be breaking the fast together. We're going to be posting all this stuff online. And also, a family in Bridgeport's hosting a big barbecue Wednesday, 6 p.m. So our church is going to be meeting in three different places Wednesday night to fast, or to, to break that fast and celebrate what God has done. I want to encourage you, maybe make that a priority as well. Come eat with us as we break this fast and celebrate what God's done in three days. Also, we're starting Tuesday night, a monthly prayer gathering at our office in Westville at 7 p.m., 7.30, excuse me. On Tuesday night, this Tuesday, we'll be gathering, our church will be gathering to pray. Of course, we'll be fasting together as well. I want to invite you out to that. Come and pray with your family and cry out to God for breakthrough in your own life. Would you stand to your feet this morning? Now, I know that the spiritual discipline of fasting is not convenient. I know that. But I just want you to listen to the Holy Spirit for a moment. And I want you to humble yourself and consider opening your heart to this idea. Some people ask, well, if I, if I fast, what am I supposed to drink? Or, you know, that's up to you. You know, I would encourage you not to take like a steak and put it in a blender and drink it. But listen, if you, you know, some people drink fruit juice, some people don't, some people just do water. Uh, it's really your decision. We're going to be posting some practical tips on fasting at ourcitychurch.org this afternoon. And so you can read those as you prepare for the fast. But, um, but you, can, you can make those decisions yourself in terms of what you're going to allow in your body or whatever. But I do encourage you to make sure you're drinking a lot of water. But I want to I challenge you today to maybe step past what you've ever done before. Maybe you're here and you've never fasted a meal. 
I do want to encourage you, the first day is a little tough. You might get a headache, you might get a little jittery, but the second day your body begins to adjust and you'll feel much better. And by the third day, you'll just be thinking about dinner. And so, that's okay. It's a time to humble ourselves. And I want to encourage you, don't just abstain from food. This is a time to dedicate particular time for prayer and for seeking God. That you add to your time alone with God and you seek him in this season, asking him to speak to you. And here's what I believe. I believe that we are going to get countless stories of angelic encounters, of dreams and visions, of breakthroughs in people's lives. I believe that this next season is going to be a transformative and breakthrough season. I believe as we step into September and we begin meeting through September and October, we will see more people come to Jesus than we've ever seen in our church's history. That's what I believe. the band wants to come out, we're just going to, I'm going to pray and then we're going to sing a song to the Lord. And I just encourage you in this moment, if you feel like God's impressing you to join us in this fast, I just want to encourage you to say yes and ask him even now to invade this place. Holy Spirit, we love you. And we three, we see God all the way from Genesis to Revelation, this pattern of your people taking dedicated time to humble ourselves in prayer and fasting. We see that it's a means in which to crucify our flesh we see that it's powerful to dedicate you as priority in our lives. We see that it's a way to humble ourselves and say with our bodies that we put you first and that we need you. We also see that, God, it's a powerful tool to bring clarity to your voice so that we can hear you more clearly. And, God, we see that it has the power to transform the world around us and to release your power like never before. And so we just say yes to that. And I pray, God, in the name of Jesus, that through this season of fasting, that many, many would join the church leadership here and that we as a family of faith would dedicate these three days to prayer and fasting to seek your face, even though it's inconvenient and maybe not the greatest timing. I pray that we would do it and that we would do it to seek you and to make you first. Would you come, Holy Spirit? Would you inspire our hearts with a hunger? And above all else, would you allow this time to be a time that we say, God, I love you this much. You are my priority. You are my first love. I desire you more than anything else on earth. Whom have I in heaven but you? And besides you, I desire nothing on earth. My heart and my flesh may fail, but you are the strength of my heart and my portion forever. In Jesus' name, let's sing to God today. For more resources and information, visit OurCityChurch.org.